Um, sorry, this message is called um, Let Your Yes Be Yes. And this is uh, something that I've kind of had God uh, speaking to me about for quite a few months. Um, and I had originally intended to do this message when I was scheduled to, to speak in December, but then, of course, we did the whole movies thing. What I thought was quite funny was I actually had someone say to me today, um, are you going to make everyone cry? <laughs> no, I promise I won't. Um, Madison has always said that I have a ministry of tears. She said, Mummy, that you're crying or everybody else is crying. And it was, I thought that was kind of sad because I always wanted to be funny. <laughs> but anyway, we just go with what we've got. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn with me to James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So there's two types of definitions for the word oath. The first one is like a swear word. It's a curse word, a profanity. It's, it's a word that, you know, your mom's going to wash your mouth out with soap, right? That's one type of oath. That is not the one we are using today, all right? So we're not going to do that. What we're talking about is an oath that is a solemn promise, um, something that we have pledged or it's a bond, it's, a, it's an honor word, it's something that we're saying that we're going to guarantee this. Usually, it invokes a divine witness, and it's about our future behavior or our future actions or something that we're going to say. You know, typically we would say, I promise. Yeah? So you understand that? I find this whole thing quite funny because I deal with this with my students quite a lot. So for those of you who don't know, I work in alternative education. I deal with students aged between 13 and 16 who are legally too young to be expelled but have to stay at mainstream school. So these are your, your naughty kids. These are the kids who, you know, they're the ones who fight, they're the ones who are doing drugs, they're the ones who are getting into mischief and, and, and that sort of stuff. Not that they're all like that, but that's kind of the general gist. And they're quite often trying to get me to let them do something based on trust. And my response is always, um, no. And then they'll say to me, don't you trust me? No, I don't. I've been doing this job for 20 years. I don't trust any of you. Oh, but, but miss, you don't understand. You know, I this and I that. No, no, no I'm sorry, you, you gotta understand. You're a teenager, and that means these three things happen. One is that you live in the now. So what you're going to say to me now in five minutes may not be uh, of value to you because you literally live in the now. The, the second thing is that um, your frontal lobe has not fully formed, and so you, you don't make wise decisions. You don't think through actions or consequences. And the third thing is, is that collectively together, you guys get stupider. You know, so this is why I always say no. And then they do this. Oh, but miss, honest to my nan. Honest to your nan. No, honest to God, miss, I promise. I will, honest to God, I swear on my cuddle's grave that I would not do such and such. And I always find that rather interesting. And the reason why they generally do that is because they naturally have more respect for the dead. That's, that's generally people naturally have more respect for the dead. Can't speak poorly of someone who's died, even if they were a jerk. And so they usually will say to me, you know, you know, I swear on my cuddle's grave or on my mom's grave or whatever, because they wanted to impress upon me how serious they are about what it is they're trying to convince me to let them do. And it would be really disrespectful and really 
um, distasteful if they make a promise on their grandmother's grave and then fail to come through for it. So the thing is that they believe is that by saying that, I then understand the weight that is behind what they're saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. What's interesting about this particular scripture in James 5 is that he's actually echoing what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's found in Matthew 5, verse 34 to 37. And the voice puts it this way. But I tell you this, do not ever swear an oath. What is an oath? You cannot say, I swear by heaven, for heaven is not yours to swear by. It is God's throne. And you cannot say, I swear by this good earth, for the earth is not yours to swear by. It is God's footstool. And you cannot say, I swear by the holy city of Jerusalem, for it is not yours to swear by. It is the city of God, the capital of the king of kings. And you cannot even say that you swear by your own head, for God has dominion over your hands, your lips, your head. It is he who determines if your hair be straight or curly, white or black. It is he who rules over even the small scrap of creation. You need not swear an oath. Any impulse to do so is evil. Simply let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Now what's really interesting about this particular passage of scripture is that he's talking to the Jewish people, and he's talking to them at a time where the Jewish people used to make distinctions between what was a binding oath and what was a non-binding oath. Personally, I don't understand why you would make a non-binding oath, but anyway. An oath that did not include God's name was not considered binding. It was, to use such an oath was almost like a way of crossing your fingers behind your back when you told a lie. You needed to, when you need the, the need to swear or make oaths beyond saying a simple, yes, I will do this or no, I will not do this, actually betrays the weakness of one's word. Your word was weak if you had to put some other emphasis in behind it. Your character is weak if you have to say, I promise I will do this. And it's quite an interesting, um, it's quite an interesting uh, situation that the Jewish people had developed for themselves. Because only was the oath binding if they used God's name. So if I make a promise to you and I didn't say I promise to God, then I don't have to follow through on it. So why would you believe my word? Oath-taking is actually a confession that you are untrustworthy and that you lie. In all honesty, if you have to make an oath about something, it means that your yes is not yes. It means that your no is not no. Barclay puts it this way. The truly good man will never need to take an oath. The truth of his sayings and the reality of his promises need no such guarantee. But the fact that oaths are still sometimes necessary is the proof that men are not good men and that this is not a good world. Originally, swearing was an attempt to invoke, invoke the character and authority of God to support what you were trying to claim or promise because your own character could not support what you were trying to claim or promise. This is deeply concerning for us. And often is the case today, it happened back then, which was that we then take God's name and we use it for trivial things. There is no integrity in what we're saying. And we suddenly besmirch God's holiness to the different people. It's actually why the term hypocrites get flung at Christians all the time. Because we say we're going to do one thing and they see us doing something else. And so the term hypocrite does fit, harsh as it may be. 
2 Corinthians 3 verses 2 to 3 says, You are an epistle written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. You see, we are living epistles. People read you all the time. People watch what you do all the time. And when you are a Christian, when you are a person who follows Jesus, when you are a disciple, his Holy Spirit comes along and he writes on your life. He writes his word upon your life. And that is what this world sees. And that is what this world reads. And that is what this world believes about God. So the question for us becomes, is your yes, yes. When people read you, when people watch you, when people consider your actions or they consider your words, is your yes, yes. Do you have enough weight in your own character to confirm what your words are saying? Or do they not trust what you've done? The last 12 months has been really interesting, to say the least. And I've been talking to a lot of pastors and ministers around the nation, and there's a strong belief that we're in a season where the sheep are being separated from the goats. We're in a really interesting season where, where Christians are actually being separated out, and I do believe that God is causing a shift. Generally, from what, what we've been talking about with different pastors and stuff, is we've seen some people renew their relationship with God. We've seen a lot of people through this whole COVID thing and the world just going mental, coming back to a relationship with God. But equally, we've seen a lot of people drift away. We've seen a lot of people um, reject God and, and literally walk away. It's quite interesting if you track the numbers. After the first lockdown, numbers skyrocketed. People who were once a month attenders suddenly became every week attenders. Then after the second lockdown, it plummeted, and people who were your every week attenders suddenly became once a month attenders. And the question then becomes, what happened to their yes? Now, I totally understand, in this particular environment, the last 12 months have been difficult. It's been frustrating. There has been a lot of confusion. And I myself have had those conversations with God. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why this is going this way. Why are we suddenly locked down in this environment? Why is this disease allowed to ravage our nation? You've got all these Christians worldwide praying. So why are we where we're at? So I understand the struggle. But what I don't understand is those who have walked away. What happened to the yes? What happened to the yes? What has become apparent to me is that a lot of Christians have said yes to salvation because they thought it was fire insurance. They said yes because they thought that they could avoid hell, that they could avoid fire and brimstone, and they viewed salvation as fire insurance. The purpose of salvation is not to keep you out of hell. The purpose of salvation is to restore you to a relationship with God. Keeping you out of hell is a really nice byproduct of that relationship. But it is not the relationship. So when you said yes to salvation, you were saying yes to so much more than fire insurance. It concerns me greatly. I read a study that came out um, at the end of last year. 68% of Christians do not read their Bible. That's, that's a lot. That's concerning. That means you're not in a relationship with God. It means you guys are actually just acquaintances. 
See, when you're in a relationship with someone, you spend time with them. You talk with them. You walk with them. You hang out with them. I'm in a relationship with Craig, so I will have random conversations about nothingness with him. And you know what? I have random conversations with God all the time. You see, a lot of people seem to, a lot of Christians have this misunderstanding that prayer is, God, I need this, and heal so-and-so, and fix this in my life. And that, that's, that's actually not a relationship. That's a list of demands. A relationship with God works like this. God, I don't understand how to help this kid. In fact, God, this kid that you've given me, I don't even like him. Like, seriously, God, like, this kid just gets on my nerves, and I've got to teach him. I know he's going to be in my class for this whole entire year. So I need you, God, to give me something to like about this kid. Uh, another conversation could literally be, I don't understand why this world's just gone mental. Like, seriously, God, I don't understand why the world has suddenly decided that, you know, male and female are no longer a thing, and apparently neither is cousins or first cousin. I don't know. I don't understand why, why common sense has completely slipped out of this realm, God. The other thing I sometimes do is, God, I read in your Bible that Eve, you know, spoke to the serpent. I don't understand why she didn't freak out about that, because honestly, the snake was talking. Like, wasn't that, why was she not concerned? My random conversations that I have with God are literally what I have with Craig. Would that be right? Yeah. He sometimes says to me, what are you talking about? And I'm sure God does the same. But the point is, you have to have a relationship. You need to treat God as if he's your best friend because that's what he is. He is right there beside you. He's not some guy who's so far away from you that you have to, I don't know, bash your head against every step as you go climb into a relationship with him. It's a relationship just like the one you have with the people around you. And if you're not reading his word, how can you hear from him? If you are not reading his word, what are you hearing? How does he speak to you? And I, and I understand, yeah, he can speak to you in nature and he can speak to you through a song, but that's not predominantly how he speaks. How he speaks to you is through his word. And you guys say to me, oh, I struggle with reading the Bible. Get it on audio, listen to it. The fact that 68% of Christians do not read their Bible means they are not in a relationship with God. They are just people who attend church. I don't want to have a, a church full of people who just attend. I want to have a church full of people who are in relationship with God, who are in right standing with God, who don't view their salvation as fire insurance, but realize that there's so much more. Not only do you gain forgiveness and justification and a adoption and eternal life, but you were literally taken out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. You became someone who was once an orphan who is now a child of the most high God. You now have full access to everything that is in heaven because you are now a co-heir with Christ. You stand with Jesus as his brother or as his sister. You are no longer bound by death because you now have eternal life. And so many of us only view our salvation on the yes of fire insurance and keeping you out of hell when your yes is about so much more. And I am sorry that if some preacher at some stage taught you wrong and gave you wrong theology about what your commitment to God was, when you said yes, when you were baptized, you committed yourself to so much more than you realize. And I am sorry for those preachers who did it wrong and who just only ever told you about the keeping out of hell part of it. In fact, it makes me mad. It makes me mad because when you said yes, you said yes to him rescuing you. 
You said yes to his lordship. You said yes to his promises. You said yes to him ruling over you. You said yes to his laws. You said yes to his purpose. You said yes to his direction. You said yes to his guidance. You said yes to his discipline. Do you actually have enough weight in your own character to confirm your words? When you said yes to God, did you actually mean yes or did you mean no? Or did you mean maybe? Or did you mean I'll think about it? Or did you mean when I get my finances in order, then I'll do this for you, God? When you said yes, did it actually mean yes? Did it actually mean yes? And I know that this might be a really hard, strong word, but I have this sense that we are globally, as the, as the church, the church globally, are about to come under an attack. Where it's already you can see the writing on the wall, and if you can't see the writing on the wall, you need to have some time with God. But there are things shifting, and I need to ensure, my role, my calling is to ensure that you are strong enough to stand and do this by yourself. That if you find yourself in a situation that you're gonna rely on your relationship with God to get you through said situation. If you have no contact with other Christians because everybody else around you has fallen, that you are still gonna be strong enough to stand. And so you're gonna hear a lot from me over this year and it's always gonna be about stand up, get strong, do what needs to be done, start lifting spiritual weights, start consuming spiritual food because no longer will it be a church that is given milk, but this is going to be a church that is given meat. If you don't like it, there's some very nice churches in our community and I'll be sure to tell you where to go. Right. So, just three little things. How do I ensure that my yes is yes? So if the band want to come, and I'll just give you these three quick points. So how do I ensure that my yes is yes? Firstly, I need to be intentional. This needs to be a deliberate choice on your behalf. This is not a relationship that you just glide along. It's not something that you just float along. A fully functional relationship with God requires input from you. It requires commitment from you. It requires you to make room for him, to make space for him in your world. And how do I do that? You know what, we launched this initiative a couple of years ago called My 15. My 15, I think, was, was brilliant. Worked really well with our youth. And, um, and so if you struggle to read your Bible, if you struggle to have that time of God, if you have never done that, but you're like, actually, I need to do that, My 15 is perfect for you. What My 15 is, is it's 15 minutes out of your day. The first five minutes is read your word. Now, like I said, if you can't, if you struggle with reading, you, maybe, you know, it's a real struggle because you don't read a lot, then listen to it on Audible. Because you can download apps that are free, so it doesn't even cost you anything. You spend five minutes in the Word. You spend five minutes in worship. Get some worship songs. Um, on our Facebook page, the, youth, uh, the creative team, they're always putting out the songs that we're singing. Get those songs. Start playing them. The other thing is you spend five minutes praying. doesn't have to be a list of instructions. doesn't have to be a list of wants from God. It's literally just, God, this is where I'm at. God, this is what I think about this. God, this is how I feel about this. And you know what? You might be sitting here going, I don't know where I can find 15 minutes. Do you know where I spent most of my 15 minutes? It's in the car. I drop kids off from school, and I take the long way to work. And I take my 15 minutes, and I have that time of God. 
And you will find that if you start to do that, you will begin to grow. You will begin to strengthen. Not only that, you're going to get to work and your mind's already going to be in a good place. And the stress of work won't even affect you. And then because working with the typical type of kids that I work with, sometimes I needed to unwind before I got home because otherwise my frustration at the students comes out into my family. So honestly, I do the same thing on the way home. And I unwind the day and I spend it coming back refreshed. The other thing about being intentional is that we have night school starting in March. I highly recommend that you guys sign up for it. It is a Zoom class that happens on a Monday night, so you don't even have to leave the house. You can literally just do it from your house. It's, it's gonna, more information about that will come out, but it's about an hour, and it will be one of the best things that you've ever done. And I cannot tell you enough, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Find a version that works for you. Find one that you like and just read. Even if it's just start with a chapter, start in the Psalms, start in Proverbs, and then begin to add to that. You're going to have to do it. You have to be intentional, which means you've got to make time. You need to be obedient. Got to be obedient. Number two, be obedient. If you want to you um, ensure that your yes is yes, then you've got to be obedient. That means that when the Bible says Pray, you pray. When the Bible says fast, you fast. When the Bible says tithe, you tithe. When the Bible says serve, you serve. We are all members of God's kingdom. And through Christ, we are his ambas we're ambassadors of God. You see, our role as an ambassador of God, and this is regardless of, of how articulate you may think you are or not, our role is to proclaim the kingdom of God. You proclaim it in your home. You proclaim it in your workplace, in your school, no matter where you are. That is it. It's our great commission. And you know what? It wasn't optional. It wasn't like, hey, if you're not doing anything, you might want to... No, no, God actually expects us to do these things. And the third thing is, if you want your yes to be yes, be brave. Being a Christian is actually the hardest thing you'll ever do. And honestly, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. This is where the rubber is going to hit the road for you. Be brave. Be bold. God has created you to be the head and not the tail. He has created you to succeed, even in the face of adversity. God has created that for you. That is what he has called you to do. So how are you going to ensure that your yes is yes? You're going to be intentional. You're going to be obedient. And you're going to be brave. 